Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Seven fifty-five is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty is on the air now. Welcome back to Seven Fifty-Five is Real, or welcome to Seven Fifty-Five is Real presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project Seventy, celebrating seventy years of Tops baseball cards. Seventy years, man. That's a lot of baseball cards, a lot of memories, a lot of terrible gum. They do have the bet stick of gum in there, right? So. Uh, I don't think that's still happening, Dave. No? I stopped a while back? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm David O'Brien, brace rider for The Athletic. I'm with my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty, out in out in, uh, in Walla. Walla? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. In Walla Walla? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, College Washington. Right outside it, yeah. And, uh, well, dude, we've talked about this for a while, about a turning point, a game here, a game there. They were kind of lurching along, but... I thought the Braves had a performance this weekend that actually might be one that they look back and go, that's where things started to get a lot better. I thought it was pretty convincing against what they did to the Dodgers, went in two out of three. Yeah, I was curious just to see. You know, I'm wondering, this team's been to the playoffs, what, three years in a row? Yeah. Went deep last year. Finally won a series last year, won two series. Yeah. I, I was wondering, you know, just if, if it's hard to get up for regular season games or, or if you, you know, you got your eyes on this big prize and all the way down the road in October, um, just how they play, you know, this series against the Dodgers kind of being a bigger one for them or, or, or the team that knocked them out if they'd kind of rise to the occasion. And I definitely saw it with the bullpen yesterday, you know, that, that was kind of like how you'd expect them to line up and pitch in a playoff series. So Back-to-back days, bullpen. Yeah, back-to-back days of of really good bullpen and and a couple good wins against a team that you're looking at. This is who we're going to have to beat if if we have that same vision. And you saw him beat Kershaw and Trevor Mm -hmm. Bauer back-to-back days. Get a a good start. The Braves starters outpitched them both days. Charlie Morton had a good, not great, but a good start Saturday. He didn't have – he had some – he had to work a little extra. He had one bad inning. And – Freed was exemplary yesterday. Yep. I thought he was very good. Clearly, uh, badly outpitched Trevor Bauer. And the Braves' bullpen was – I mean, that's what they had hoped. They, You know, we knew they were capable of that. They just don't have the depth they have last year where they have six, seven options to do that. They've got those three or four guys. Mm-hmm. And when you, if you have to use them more than two days in a row, you're going to run into problems because Snit's gonna, not going to do it three days in a row. They are committed to not overusing these guys. So if they had a game today, they would not have nearly the formidable bullpen to run out there. They don't have a day today. They're off today. So, but that's where they might run into problems, which is why it's also so critical. The addition of Shane Green Sunday, yeah. they called him up. He didn't get in yesterday, but he warmed up. He was ready to go in. So if they had tied that game or something, you know, we would have seen Shane Green. And if there was a game today, I'm sure we would have seen Shane Green in a prominent role. 
set up well, or even or even closing. But that's the big kicker. You know, if if you do go through a series like that and they, they were still able to pitch like that and not use Shane Green, mm-hmm. you push him into a big role instead of having to call on guys that might not be ready for it. You know, that, right. that's where that depth comes in, along with the starters pitching better. Right. And 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 see so what happens those days if the starter goes five or six innings instead of, you know, leaving in the fourth or whatever, or if they go seven innings is even better. Then you can get by with that bullpen for sure, especially with the addition of Shane Green. You got plenty of bullpen as long as you don't have any more injuries, you know? Yeah. As long as you keep Chris Martin, big rig, upright. Uh, and Will Smith, he stayed healthy. His, his only thing was uh COVID a year ago. So those two guys really don't worry about that. Matzik's looked a lot sharper again. He had a really good outing Saturday, I thought. And Mentor, he looks great. He had his little blip, but he let, yesterday he came in and really shut it down in a big situation. Came in with two on, none out, got three pop-ups or flub ball. Yeah, it was like they rose to the occasion, and that, that's kind of the, the point I'm trying to get get out there is yeah. I think that I think this team woke them up in a way where they felt, you know, it just had more of a playoff feel. I think, you know, after you go to the playoffs – three years in a row and, and you got your eyes set on winning a world series and you go deep over and over, um, winning, not deep, you know, this first year going deep last year, but I, I don't, I don't know how you get up for a June series against the Marlins. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it can be kind of a letdown, um, playing those series and that, that's where the leadership comes in. You need guys that, that stress the importance day in, day out, but I don't think you can help it. Even as you see like veteran players go on in their career, they're not that excited in spring training. They're not that excited in April. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think there's a little bit of that going on with this team. And I hadn't really thought of it till this Dodger series came up. And, and then I saw the way they played, you know, this weekend. And they had some other guys step up this weekend. They've had about the four guys really going well now with the, in the uh, lineup. But they had, with Riley getting a much-needed day off yesterday, he had four errors in three games, which after making like one in the previous 30 games – he needed a day off. He got one yesterday. And I thought Adrian's have filled in well over there at third. And you got some big contributions from a couple of unlikely guys. Ender and Ciarte. People probably forgot he was still on the team. He had two RBIs yesterday. Had a big sack fly, RBI hit. And um, those proved to be difference makers. And Almonte. Yeah. Almonte had a great catch, and he had a big yeah. hit. So out in left field, filling in for Ozuna. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff they're going to need, you know, some other guys to contribute, and they did it this weekend. So, now, Charlie Morton had some – I thought he had some really good things to say after his start Saturday. He was asked about the bullpen because they really came through in that game. He was asked about the bullpen woes lately, and he also kind of en- encompassed the whole team vibe, I thought, into his quote. He was talking about the pen, though. He said, I think it's a compounding thing where a couple of guys have a couple of rough outings, and then before you know it, there's a lot of negativity. I'm not sure how much of that's in the clubhouse, but I know that for them to pick up four innings tonight against a really good team, just on an individual level, when guys struggle a little bit, you just hope that they can get an opportunity to go out there and get another one under their belt and move past it. And I think for whatever reason, it's been hard to find that. It's the same thing as our offense. The momentum has just been hard to find, whether that's just bad breaks, whether that's not executing pitches for the pitchers. I think we're, we've all been experiencing a little bit of that all year. And then he finally said, I like rooting for people on an individual level. For me, it's not about wins and losses. It's more about the experience of being in a clubhouse with guys that are going through their own struggles and successes and getting to know guys. And at the end of the day, if you're doing all the right things that way and you're being a pro and you're being a good teammate, 
the rest of it will take care of itself. And I feel like everybody's been doing that. I feel like we have a good team in the clubhouse. I feel like guys really support each other. So it's been really frustrating just to see guys struggle in that way. And so it all just really goes back on just keep grinding and just uh, keep trying to get some momentum because I know it's going to come just hopefully sooner than later. I thought that was good stuff. And then Sunday they went out and did the same thing again. So that's two days back to back when he, they did the kind of things he's talking about doing. And that, that's what they're going to have to do. You know, if they if you want to win a World Series, if you want to win this division, which is pretty tough, they're going to have to be able to clean it up. You know, I mean, I know it's been frustrating for fans. It's every bit more frustrating for players to right. to to see the team they have and and underperform. Um, but for me, that series was it was just good because that was kind of. It, that was the picture and the vision of how you see this team playing if they're going to go deep. You know, a team like the Dodgers rising to the occasion and, and everybody kind of doing their job versus, you know, the, the rest of the season, there's just, there's always been something off. Something, something goes wrong and it never lines up, but they just played quality games this weekend. Yeah. I think there's such a, one of the misconceptions that fans have is that you know, what you were just talking about there, the players obviously have a lot more invested in this than the fans yeah. do. I know the fans invest a lot of their time and all that and their emotions, but the players, it's their livelihood, man. Yeah. The coach is the same way, the manager. But I think people see it on TV and the, and the camera closes in on Freddie talking to a guy at first base. And because Freddie's smiling, they think he doesn't care or they show another guy who strikes out and just walks back to the dugout and doesn't show emotion because people show it different ways. But your best pros, your best players for the most part are not guys that break bats every time they strike out or guys who look miserable if they're going through a slump. You, you can't can. do 162 games like that. You could do that in football. You can't do it in baseball. You can't care. You, like, and I don't mean it like you don't care, but you can't, you can't ride the roller coaster. You can't right. every time you strike out think I suck now. You can't every time you have a good game think, well, I got it figured out. Like baseball's all about staying even keel. Mm -hmm. And you got a lot of guys that have been through the long season before. You know, I think last year was a different season where it was so short. Right. It, you know, it, it was, urgency it kind of throws there. that away. So that urgency is there. But for the most part, you know, I mean, Freddie could finish this year hitting 295 or 310. Mm -hmm. He could get hot and finish the year out. But if he's freaking out in April, and he's and he's down on himself and he's going to be exhausted by August caring yeah. that much. And it's not that I always try to explain this, but it's not that you don't care. It's just it's too long of a season if if you're so invested in day in, day out. And that's right. why, you know, you have to be able to analyze it. And Freddie's got to be able to say, you know, I went 0 for 8 the last two games, but I hit seven balls hard. And you have to be able to analyze it regardless of the results and just know how you're swinging the bat and see if you're making progress in that way. Because in baseball, the the numbers and the wins, and it doesn't always match up with how you're actually playing. You know, so on the flip side, you got to know if you come in and you're a reliever and I come in and I give up three fly balls to the warning track when I'm walking through the dugout getting my high fives. Yeah, I better not be too high on myself because I just snuck away from giving up a three spot. So you have to make that adjustment and be able to analyze it without those results, you know, really weighing too heavy because it's it's such a long year. You got to fix that before it turns into a problem. And I think a lot of guys, especially as you go deeper in your career, get really good at that. But when I watch, you know, fan reactions and people ready to jump off a cliff every time yeah. they lose a, a tough game, it's like it, 
if you had that mentality, you would never make it to yeah. the major leagues because it's yeah. it. There's too much failure and adversity in baseball to to be that emotional. Yeah, fans get like I understand they get so worked up, and then after a series, they're at the uh, or after a bad game that night, they're on the, the comments on Twitter. You they're just miserable. They're ready to give up the season and all this and all. That. Yeah. Well, if the players did the same thing, got so emotional, there's no way they could come back the next day and be themselves at the start of the game. Will Smith, I found, is really good at that. I mean, he'll have a terrible outing, and he'll come in the Zoom, and he'll talk about, hey, I just made a bad pitch. He hit it, blah, blah, blah. These things got – I mean, last year when he gave up all the home runs, he kept an even keel, even though it was – that had to be rough to do with all the home runs he allowed last year. It's but look at him this thing. year. But look at him this year. You know, even though he had a couple of bad outings early, people say, ah, Will Smith, that's just not the answer. He's pitching great lately, you know. He's- look at the dude, uh, Kelnick, for the Mariners. He's hitting like 090. Yeah. That's a guy that's feeling the pressure and and wondering, you know, do I belong? And every time he goes over for that, it, this shit's count, compounding on him every time. That's a guy that's that's not used to this pressure and how yeah. to analyze himself at this level. And there's no way to, or you could look at a guy like Rafael Soriano. <laughs> yeah. Rafi would be sitting in the training room with ice somewhere on his body, drinking a beer, no matter what happened, and just talking about fishing or something. Yeah. Five minutes after he blew a save. Right. And if if you were a fan and you walk through the, you know, you walk through the training room and you see this guy casually just making jokes and drinking his beer, but he's doing that after he gets five saves in a row too. Right. And he was the epitome for me. Like he was the the peak, just steady Eddie for me. It it seemed like he didn't care at all. And I don't know if maybe he didn't, but (laughs) that let him have a, that let him have a pretty damn good career because he was never riding that roller coaster. And that's one of the first things you always say to young guys is don't ride the roller coaster. As a fan, you can ride the roller coaster because you don't have to turn it around tomorrow. And that's part of the fun of being a fan, the highs and lows and being emotional. It's the direct opposite of the player. But players cannot afford to do that because you'll just go crazy. Yeah. Uh, Talking about last year and the difference. This would be this Philly series. This would be the last games of the season last year. This series, yeah. this three game series, season would be over. So yeah. imagine if Freddie was where he was right now last year, you know, or the bullpen just finally starting to get things going here. It would be the last week of the season last year. Yeah. So it's just night and day, the difference between 162 and 100. Whereas the season would be ending last year. There's still more than 100 games to play There's this year. 100 games left. And people are like, Oh, the Braves are done this year. Just aim for the future. Play the kids. They're three and a half games back with a hundred and some to play. <laughs> if you're three and a half in late August, you got a shot. Yeah. You're three and a half with a hundred left. We saw it's the like- Braves blow double digit lead in September, the same year the Red Sox did it. Yep. Both teams blew double digit leads. They were in, in September. In, in September. <laughs> I learned that as a player. I learned I didn't even look at my numbers or even take them into account until the all-star break. Yeah. Then I'd kind of glance at him and be like, it's time to clean it up or you're on a roll, you know, stay strong, keep going. But there's so much time in a season. It, you look at that schedule, you don't even think about the year ending until mid-August or it's the longest year ever. Right. You know, you have to, there's just, there's so many damn games, man. Right. It's, it's a long, long season. So again, that's why as a player, you can't be high and low over and over or mentally, you'll be just completely burnt out by August. You can't have the dog days in late May, early June. No, it's too early for the dog days. Um, speaking of All-Star break, I just heard Trout is going to be out till after the break. So it's going to be like two months out. The Angels are still going. It looks for certain they're still going to have not won a playoff series with Mike Trout there. The Mike Trout era, they have not won a playoff series. 
I mean, the greatest player in the game this generation has still has not won a playoff series. It's That's hard baseball. to win a playoff series, man. <laughs> Mike Trout is a basketball player. He's LeBron. He's got three titles by now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you just give him any help, but but baseball's different where you yeah. can have a player that good. You need yep. you need depth. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Thought on Sunday morning, uh, the Braves, Shane Green made four appearances at Gwinnett, signed, and four weeks to the day after he signed, they recalled him Sunday. He didn't get in the game yesterday, but he warmed up. He was ready to go in. But uh, I thought he had some good things to say before the game. He's a good quote, man. I forgot how good a quote he is. But ask him what he's seen in the uh, what he's seen from the team. What has he thought of the team so far to this point? This was before yesterday's game. He said, "I don't, I don't think we've clicked yet." When we score eight, ten runs, we give up eight, ten runs. So when the pitchers and the hitters get on a roll at the same time, you run into nine out of ten games you've won or 17 out of 20, things like that. There's still a lot of baseball left. It's a long season for a reason. Excited to be here and get it going. So, yeah, he's right. They haven't ran off that real, reeled off nine out of ten, one nine out of ten games, 17 out of 20. And when they do something like that, they could take hold of this division if the Mets are still doing what they're doing. You know, and the Marlins are falling off the pace now. Well, I so. think that's kind of what makes it tough, probably from a fan perspective too, is you haven't really seen that out of right. the team yet. No evidence where, to think it can. You know, happen. if you if they've done it in early May and then kind of you know had another slump or something like that, you haven't put them through that spurt where your team's just dominant yet either. But it's coming. And I asked him. Uh, I asked him, "How are you as far as being ready right now compared to uh, past seasons?" before your first appearance. And he said, like, ready-wise, I've never been this ready in my life, in my whole life. And I said, how so? And he said, the offseason was longer than ever, and I'm as ready to, as I could ever yeah. be. Said, uh, they asked him, what happened in the offseason? You know, free agency. <laughs> and it was kind of, it reminded me of Keiko. Only Keiko started immediately talking about it. You know, it was like, uh-oh, you know. But he's got the same kind of feelings you could tell. He's just not ready to talk about it. But he said, that's a very long conversation that potentially I would like to have with you guys. But right now I'm just focusing on being it, being able to be a baseball player again, having a locker in the locker room and trying to win a baseball game. So he's not going to get into all the, all the, the politics and the financials and the ec- baseball economics right now. Well, he thought he was going to get two or three years and he a got lot more than he got <laughs> one year and it sucks. And he doesn't really want to go down that road. He wants yeah. to just shut up and pitch. Yeah, he's got a good attitude about it. He's coming in yeah. not with a chip on his shoulder, but or if he has a chip on his shoulder, he's use, he's going to use it rather than talk about it. So yeah. I think it's going to be a big addition. 
He's in great shape, by the way. I saw him with he had one of those tight shirts on. You could tell. Oh, he went to driveline, by the way. I was wondering what he was doing during the bedtime time. He called Matt Boyd, who he was uh, teammates with in Detroit, and Matt Boyd's from out there in Washington. And Boyd got him hooked up. He asked him, "Do they have hitters out there?" And Boyd told him, "Yeah, they got hitters all the time." And so he went out there and was throwing a one uh, live each week and was working out there, basically driving Boyd's car, living in his house for. You know, that, oh, yeah. last, that last month before he signed, yeah. So, because he ran out of people to throw to down in Florida, I guess, Claremont, Florida, you know, once spring training got over with or started. Well, that's a good, you know, that's that's a good thing, too, because that's a competitive atmosphere. Yeah. Guys are yelling and talking crap. Um, I think it's a good it's a good spot to try to stay fresh. I don't know how good the hitters are because you have guys that right. weren't quite, quite in pro ball, but it's better than throwing on some – junior college field against a bunch of junior Some college kids, kids and yeah. no fans or anything. Yeah. I mean, they they do do a good job there of they talk enough crap and they, they make enough noise when something goes good yeah. that if he were to give up a homer to one of those guys, he's going to hear about it. So, you know, maybe he could get a little adrenaline out of that. Hey, so, uh, so freed out pitch Bauer yesterday and it was the first, it was the Braves first matchup, obviously against the Dodgers. Cause they did not, uh, they hadn't played earlier this year. They didn't play at all last year until the NLCS. But it was their first matchup since then, since the Dodgers overcame the 2-0 and 3-1 deficits to win that seven-game NLCS. So I know the Braves, even whether they said it or not, were a little bit fired up for this. I mean, it was a yeah. chance to you know get back at them. And uh, Freed's first win against the Dodgers. Santa Monica kid had not pitched well against them in three previous starts, regular season starts. Pitched well against them in the NLCS, just didn't get a win in those two games he had against him. But Freed said, I just felt like we played really good baseball, complete. Offense, defense, pitching, we were able to put it all together. This is obviously the type of baseball that we know we can play. It's just building off of that. He's talking about the two wins on Saturday and Sunday. They, uh, they, uh, the Braves came in two under 500, and the Dodgers had won 16 out of 22 games. So, and their starting rotation had been off to, you know, putting up historically good stats through the first couple of months of the season. So it was a pretty big deal. And also the Dodgers had homered in 13 straight games, had 23 homers in that span. The only homer they got yesterday in the whole three-game series was Pools in the ninth inning off Will Smith. Kind of a meaningless one with them down 4-1, solo shot to start the inning, and then Will Smith got the next three guys. So, um that was the only homer they had, though, with Pujols, of all people. It was a 671st homer. So it was kind of the best of all worlds for Braves fans who went to that game yesterday. Got to see a big Braves win. Got to see Pujols hit a home run. And the Braves finished off a series win against some packed packed houses all weekend, too. Over 40,000. A lot of Dodgers fans snuck in, too, huh? Quite a few, but not nearly as many of per- higher percentages in the past when you would hear them kind of drown out Braves fans. It wasn't that case at all. It was... Way more Braves fan than Dodgers fans. Of course, if the Dodgers had been kicking their butts, you would have heard those Dodgers fans a lot louder than you would, have, yeah, as you did Saturday and Sunday. So, but good weekend for the Braves, no doubt. Yeah, I was, I was, I was glad to see him play like that. And like I said earlier, I just think that it was. I'm glad the Dodgers came in playing good. You know, I'm I'm glad they came in 16 out of 22 or whatever. I'm glad they came in. And they were tough and the Braves stepped up. Like it, for me, it was a good sign to see the team kind of rise to the occasion and, and, and win a big series. Uh, I know it's only you know early June, but 
they know that's a team that they're most likely going to have to get past if they want to go to the World Series. So I'm, even if they don't say it, you know that that series kind of amped them up a little bit. The uh, They've won. Okay, I like the stat here. The Braves have won three of the four games this season against opposing starters who were Cy Young Award winners. Bauer, Kershaw, Corey Kluber, and Max Scherzer. Those four pitchers were a combined went 0-3 with a 5-5-6 ZRA in those games. Scherzer got a no decision after allowing four runs in a 6-5 Nationals win. So that's pretty impressive what the Braves did. They've, they've avoided DeGrom so far. That won't last much longer, though. He's on another level right now. He absolutely <laughs> is. I, I, was, I told my dad, like, Two months ago or early on in the season, he asked me who the best pitcher I ever saw was. And I, I said, hands down, it's DeGrom. And he kind of double, he did the double take because I've, I've played with some pretty good guys. And what he's done since I said that, my dad's kind of like, well, I see it now, you know, because he's just gone. He's on another level this year. But I also saw somebody trying to call him out for going to his belt and his glove or using yeah. pine tar or something like that. And then about six Mets guys came out and said they could confirm he doesn't use anything. Which is that's going to be for me the fun thing to watch is which guys with this whole spin thing and uh, the the substance thing the league's going to do which guys lose spin and and lose their effectiveness because I I think yeah. power was down what three hundred yesterday three hundred RPMs on his fastball yesterday yeah hmm yeah how about that and explain to people how much difference that is what's everything man I mean it's so like when I, when I was playing, we would have, we didn't have all these ways to measure it, but you'd have a guy like Buddy Carlisle. Buddy Carlisle would throw 90 miles an hour or James Parr. They'd throw 90 miles an hour and they'd blow it by guys. Mm-hmm. Then you'd have another guy coming in throwing 96 and it just get crushed into the gap, you know, like, like it was 90. And yep. we didn't really know how to measure that. And we'd call it invisible or say maybe they had deception, but really what it was is the more the ball's spinning, your your fastball, instead of slowly dropping, it'll just slowly drop a little less. And that's when you'll get pop-ups and swing and misses. But, yeah. you know, if, if you say a good fastball is 22, 2300, a great fastball would be like 26, 2700, 2800 spin on that fastball. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a difference of, of an okay fastball versus a great one is that gap that Bauer had yesterday or, you know, 300 RPMs is – it's difference between a foul ball or a swing and a miss and a home run. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's definitely guys that are getting that benefit. And that's pretty much what, you know, he was calling out everybody that was going to the Astros and gaining 300 RPM, 400 RPM and changing their whole career. Um, that's what he was calling everybody out for. Um, so you'll, you'll kind of see which guys, and I'm real interested to see how he does without that, you know, because he won a Cy Young last year with an extra three, 400 spin on his fastball. Um It'll be interesting to see which guys are able to maintain their performance and which ones aren't. But a guy like DeGrom, I don't see falling off no matter what they try to do. Yeah, you know, DeGrom has not been accused of anything like <laughs> that in, during his career. No, nobody has said anything, accused him of Ever. doing anything. I mean, the guy's just a freak. He's just he's so just he's throwing harder and harder as he gets older. He throws harder as the game goes on. He's, uh, he's a great athlete. He's yeah. just a great – like he, he can could hit. probably play shortstop. He can hit. He's fast. He's he's just a great athlete. And being 6'4 and having the extension he has, and he's basically just playing catch at 100 miles an hour. I mean, he doesn't miss his spot too often. It's 
you're watching something special. Snit has been asked so many times, you know, after they play a good game or two about momentum and is this the time that, well, this, you think this is a turning point and all that, that he, you could tell he was kind of reluctant to really even uh, yeah, entertain the question yesterday. But as he, as he answered, you could tell that he did, he did look at it a little differently this weekend. He's just trying to, he's not trying to get too excited, but you could tell because he said, he said, uh, could these two solid games they played be, you know, the kind of a turning point when you look back uh, later in the season? And he said, it remains to be seen. But then he goes, hopefully it's something you look back on in, in two or three weeks and maybe point to this. I mean, he goes, I hope. I mean, other than the one inning, talking about that horrible eight-run inning yeah. on Friday series opening loss, we played a really good series this weekend against the world champions. We did a lot of really good things. The bullpen was unbelievable in this whole thing. We got some big hits. I mean, it should show these guys that we're as good as anybody out there when we play the way we're capable of playing. And they are. You know, I mean, they just haven't done that pretty much yeah. you know, 90% of the year. And, I, you know, I think that it's got to be a tough job for you in the media because baseball players just by default downplay everything. But yeah. that's the message you're trying to drive into your own head. So you kind of just repeat it out to you guys. So you don't get too many of those great quotes, but I'm sure they're, you know, I'm sure they're thinking the same along the same lines of if we could do that to them, you know, we can beat anybody and, and trying to roll off it. You just don't want to say that out loud and you go out and have a crappy series and it's just, you know, it just dilutes it more even next time you have another turning point. Yeah, I mean, it depends on who, which guys you got. Some guys are better quotes than others, but for the most part, yeah, when they're going through what they've gone through this year. Let's just downplay it. Yeah, that's all you can do, you know. You can't look desperate. You can't look like, oh, woe is me, you know. Yeah, <laughs> then, you, then you're then you done. Then your teammates will be like, dude, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah. <laughs> um, Abraham Amante. Who had on, he only had three starts and 13 plate appearances before Sunday. And he drove in the first run of the game with a double uh, after Dansby Swanson leadoff single in the second inning. So that was big. I got him going. And you could just hear the crowd was waiting for something to break early and they it yeah. roared. So that, and you know, they never looked back. I mean, they never, they never lost that lead. But Ozzy Albies had an, added an RBI double in the third inning. And then that you could tell that. This isn't Bauer at his peak. I mean, this is not DeGrom. This is not you got to scratch out one run, you know. They you could tell that they were going to get some things going. They had they could have had a lot worse too. They could have got scored a lot more runs off of uh Bauer. They had four innings where they had two runners on and less than two outs against Bauer. Four of the first six innings. So, yeah. it could have been a lot worse than it was. Yeah, it was I don't, that's what I'm saying though. You know, even with his, his strikeouts, he's been striking out 10 and walking one or two. Mm -hmm. it, it's not just the strikeouts themselves. It's the walks. He had four or five walks yesterday. And it's when there's that sharper break on the ball or more right on your fastball, you get the hitters to chase more. You know, it's, it's not just the, the actual results you see. It's that, that two Oh slider. They can't swing at it. They don't mm -hmm. see it. It's sharper. You know, the, the two one slider breaks out of the zone just a little bit and they chase it. When you see it and it's not as sharp a break, it's easier to take those pitches. So the more spin, you know, it's just sharper and, and harder for the hitters to work with. I mean, I think I think the league's doing the right thing, honestly, even though it hurts pitchers. Mm -hmm. I think it's the one thing they can do without moving the mound back or banning yeah. the shift. You know, it's like the least extreme thing they can do um, and still maybe have a drastic difference and get some offense back in the game. 
And they're actually not changing the rules of the game. They're just uh, adhering to the rules. They're enforcing the rules. It's already there. So, I mean, I agree. I'd rather see, if it works, I'd rather see them do this than change everything else. You know? I mean, as much as I'm on the fence about shifts, and I think, you know, I'm to the point now with your hands in the air and say, yeah, if you have to ban shifts, then do it. Or at least make make sure infielders are up, two infielders on each side of second base, blah, blah, blah. But if this works, I like this better. If if it's as bad as they say, I mean, I'm hearing stats that there could be 80 to 90 percent of pitchers using something. Oh, I don't know how easy. accurate that is or not. It was 80 to 90 percent when I was playing, and we didn't even know the benefits. Right. You know, you like I said attack. before, I didn't I didn't use it because I didn't know it could add that. Yeah. If I knew, I could have gotten an extra 300. I didn't even know what 300 spin was back when I was playing. It was just right. like you either right. had a good fastball, or you didn't. You're good or you sucked. So if I if I had those details, you know, I tell people all the time I didn't use any pine tar because I didn't I just couldn't get a feel for it. But it wasn't like a moral thing. You know, I wasn't trying to be better than the other guys and thought they were cheating. I just didn't do it because I wasn't good with it. I was better mm-hmm. without it. But if I knew, you know, <laughs> that that home run you gave up last night would have been a pop up if you had 400 more spin. I would have figured that shit out quick. I would have taken the time to learn how to use it. But I just never felt I needed it. Meanwhile, while they had him on the ropes and kept let, kept letting uh, Bauer off, Freed was perfect in four of his first five innings yesterday. Mm-hmm. We've Freed is since he came back from the IL has gotten closer and closer to last year's version of Freed, which was dominant. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on before he went on the IL, but he figured things some things out mechanically and made an adjustment because he looks really good right now. Only blemish yeah. in that first five innings was the fourth when he gave up a run on two hits, including uh, Albert Pujols, two out RBI single. Pujols. A blooper, too. Runs. He yeah. blooped it, though. It wasn't like he got, you know, a laser in the gap. You know, even his home run yesterday was 99 miles an hour exit velo, which you're yeah. so used to these 104, 109. Yeah. <laughs> but you give him a fastball down the middle, Albert will still hit it for sure. Yeah. He knows what to do with those. Yeah, I think, you know, it's especially a guy like Freed, even it's just crazy in baseball how easy it is to give up on somebody or think they're not the same this year. You know, he's going to have to pitch like this for another month before people completely buy in again that that he's back. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it, was, that's as a player, you can't do that. Freed was talking about uh, how good the bullpen, how much talent is in that bullpen. Yeah. And he said, you're starting to see it. They have the mentality. They go out and leave it all out there every day. It might not work every time, but you know that they're giving you everything that they have. And he said, as a group down there, they have some of the best stuff in baseball. I'm really happy for them, especially AJ coming in today in a big spot and shutting it down. Because, like I said, Freed gave up two hits, left the game with two on and uh, in the seventh. And AJ came in and shut it down. Mentor looked really good. Um, mentor. Let's see what the I put these stats down for a couple of these bullpen guys. Um, since uh, Will Smith retired the next three batters after the Pujols homer in the ninth, since allowing four runs in one third of an inning against Toronto on May 22nd, Will Smith has 15 strikeouts with no walks in eight and two thirds innings over nine appearances. Oof. And two of the three runs he's allowed in that stretch have been solo homers. Chris Martin retired the side in order in the eighth. He's been on since he got back from the injured list. I mean, you see how much they missed him because he missed a month, five weeks. Since he got back from the IL, he's allowed two hits, one run with no walks, five strikeouts, nine innings. Hitters are two 
for 29 against him. They've hit 069 against him. That that got pitches to contact, to soft contact, about as well as anybody in the league, man. I think he's he's one of those – well, obviously, he's got to stay healthy. I mean, that's the thing you're always worried about with him. But he's one of those guys, being as tall as he is, that uh-huh. it's just – it's a different angle, you know. And so he's a guy that can afford to be extremely aggressive. And if hitters haven't seen him, even if they just haven't seen him recently – you know, he's just got a different angle. He's tall. He's got some late life on the ball. Um, he's a guy that he's the perfect guy to pitch to contact and not to try to strike everybody out. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, sometimes as a player, you get knocked for things like that. You know, they'll say your your batting average on balls in play is unsustainable. You're like, I broke four bats last inning. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, look, you know, I mean, you don't get too much credit for pitching to contact. So it's tempting for relievers to right. try to strike out guys more and put up those more dominant numbers. But with Martin, it's that angle is just not going to go away. And that angle is not going to slump. Especially in this day and age, you get knocked yeah. for it. Strikeouts, yeah. such an obsession now with strikeouts. Speaking of, in Major League Baseball right now, why do they want to make these changes? Because yeah. the 237 batting average is tied for the lowest in Major League history. 1968, there was a 237. The 24.1 strikeout percentage is the highest in Major League history. And the 7.708, 708 OPS is the lowest since 2014. Well, I hope they're right about the pine tar thing then or whatever substances guys are using. You know, I mean, I I really hope that that is the reason for it. It's definitely an approach thing, too. I mean, I I feel like I watch games and you see a guy come up in a situation where a single ties the game and they're just taking donkey hacks. You're looking at it like... (laughs) Why are you swinging so hard right now? You know, I mean, you see the veteran guys kind of tone it down and take their singles, but all these young guys in the game, you see taking these donkey hacks against 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, it's like, I mean, there's definitely an approach factor there too, but cutting down on the spin and making the pitchers less nasty would be a good thing. Justin Turner had a little hit yesterday, a little flare hit to left field, and it reminded me, I was watching him take batting practice Friday before the series opener. And I was fascinated because this is a guy, you don't see this much. It's kind of batting practice like Chipper used to take. Freddie takes this similar to this, but Chipper used to be. Chipper would get up there. He didn't even swing hard. It seemed like in the first two rounds. That was his warm-up. <laughs> yeah. He would get up there and just warm up, hit balls really soft to the other way, hit him, just hit, hit ground balls around the infield, hit him and, and hit start to hit him over the infield. And then he would finally start driving them into gaps, but he never got up there just taking, trying to home run derby. That's not what Chipper did ever. Well, I was watching Justin Turner and he did the same thing. He got up there first. He, 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 he bunted, push bunted a couple. Then he got dead bunted a couple. And then he started hitting real soft swings and hitting little flares over the infield. It was almost like he was catching the little batting practice pitch, a coach pitch. It was almost like he was catching it with the bat and throwing it over the infield. You know what I mean? And he yeah. did that for two rounds. He didn't take a hard swing for two rounds that I watched him. He's up there. He's like a, with the bat, the, with the uh, bat control. It was just something to watch because you don't see guys do that up there. But that's mm-hmm. what he did for two rounds. It was like, that's what guys should be doing, man. I mean, guys just can't yeah. help themselves. They get up there and swing hard for, you know, five rounds of batting practice. See how many they can launch into the upper deck or second deck. And then take it into the game and you punch out three times and you hit one 112 miles an hour to left center and you're on sports center. Yeah. You know, I, I, for me, I think that that's a big factor. It's just the approach thing. Whenever you see those big at bats and you see a guy come up and 
you know, it's 3-0 and they swing at a bad pitch and pop it up with a donkey swing or something like that. You know, that there's definitely an approach and the approach isn't rewarded either. You don't get rewarded for moving runners over. Or right. Just little things I just don't think are emphasizing the game as much. But on top of that, I think the spin is is a factor. Um, it would it would be good. to It's going to be good to see this next month or two, how that really affects it. And all yeah. of a sudden, if guys are able to hit more pitches and those swings are connecting, then you can't criticize their approach as much. But right now, with those batting averages around the league, it's pretty easy to criticize. Yeah, maybe if guys aren't throwing 98 with movement. 94-mile-an-hour sliders breaking three feet. You know, I mean, that's that's maybe why guy, I hold maybe back. Maybe put down a bunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's why I hold back and criticizing it too much because yeah. I do think the hitters are facing some of the nastiest stuff that's ever been thrown even if the control's not the best, it's yeah. still a hundred and it's going everywhere. You know, I mean, it's, they don't have an easy job and that just shorten up and hit it the way argument. I don't know if I'm going to go, you know, all in on that yet until I see what the spin does, but there's definitely at bats you see and you just scratch your head. Like, yeah. why is this guy trying to hit a three run homer, you know, in a tie game and a single wins it? Yeah. I've had both chipper and Seitzer tell me in the last couple of weeks that hitting is harder today than it was when they played. Yeah. Sites said, I couldn't even play right now with the way it is. And Sites was a good hitter. He's almost, he was a 300 career hitter, you know? Yeah. Um, But he said, it's just night and day with what guys are throwing now. Um, And nobody would play as long as those guys did, you know, back in the day with the pitching that there is, they're facing now. No. MLB relievers. uh, Also, two other guys we've got to mention Luke Jackson, our guy Luke Jackson, man, keeps doing it. Among I, I put in twenty innings as a as a base on uh, qualifier filter on fan graphs, and I came up with Luke Jackson has the ninth lowest ERA among relievers with at least twenty innings, one point two five, ninth lowest in the majors. AJ Minter and Luke Jackson are forty third and forty fifth in opposing slugging percentage at two ninety eight and two ninety nine, which forty third and forty fifth, and most people are going that's not that much, but that's thirty teams. Forty third isn't bad. Forty fifth yeah. and forty, you know. That's better than everybody but like one or two guys on every team. Yeah. So. Um, Luke's, Luke, for whatever reason, Luke's just easy to hate. <laughs> I kind of like it. More guys I, are I coming kinda, around to him, though. But, yeah. yeah, he's still – he's still people are still waiting for him to fail so they can yeah. jump all over him. If he has one yeah. bout outing, yeah. <laughs> it's like Twitter just jumps all over Luke Jackson, man. Yeah, I even, you know, I mean, he did a great job stepping in the closers role a few years back and it was like that was never good enough. I mean, I laugh at it because he's been he's been pretty damn good this year, but you can always feel that energy with Luke for whatever reason. He's just one of those dudes that's that's easy to hate. I loved hearing him say it when he was on the show a few weeks ago that he thrives on that. The biggest difference for him this year is the crowd. Which yeah. is be ironic because he's the guy that, you know, on social media at least gets booed. But it's not like that at the ballpark. They don't boo Luke no. Jackson at the ballpark. So he well, that's why it's crowd. important to stay off there too. You yeah. know, I mean, you could scroll through your name on you could search yourself on Twitter or something like that after a bad outing and you're just getting fucking roasted. Yeah. But you you know, the nice thing is if when you're those interactions don't happen as much as the stadium when you're playing catch before the games. Right. Even my last couple of years in Atlanta, I had like a six or seven ERA and I was still getting, you know, fans yelling at me, telling me they love me. And I was just kind of thinking, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I've been blowing a game every other day. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's generally in, in person, the interactions are a lot better and guys just in general should stay off of social media because that's where 
people feel the most comfortable just torching you. Yeah. Guys, let's take a quick break and then we'll finish up the show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Shane Green. The offseason did not go as expected, as we mentioned earlier, but he uh, he's back and I'm really eager to see him. I think they'll see, I'm sure we'll see him probably in the first game of that Philly series, if they, uh, uh, if not, then we'll see him during the series, and I think he's going to have a prominent role. I, I would, uh, no Snead would probably ease him into it, but that first one, he'll get him right out there, and maybe it'll ease him into back to backs because he did not do that yet at uh, Gwinnett. But he says he's ready, and he said obviously had a lot. He like he said a longer offseason than he's ever had. He said he's more ready than ever. But um, five and a half th- weeks of the season, he spent as a man without a team. So he was eager to get signed when he finally did and took a lot less, I'm sure, than he thought he deserved and probably than he did deserve coming off the season that he had. But the baseball economics, as we know, have been different this year. So he signed for the prorated portion of $1.5 million. He'll end up getting probably about a million because he's going to be there two-thirds of the season. Yep. Through side sessions, a bunch of those, and then four appearances. Gwinnett got called up. He's ready. Uh, he's got a great beard going. You got, Wait till you see this thing, man. It's – uh. Pretty impressive, but he's in great shape. We'll see how he throws. But he said, he said, uh, it was interesting because, you know, there were a lot of rumors. People actually saw him sitting in the left field bleachers at Truist Park, April 11th against the Phillies. Just Somebody, bored. <laughs> yeah, he was out there drinking a beer. People were like, I saw Shane Green. At first, we were like, no way. Well, it was him. People took pictures of him. It was him. He was sitting out there. So there were a lot of people convinced that he had signed with the Braves. I'm like, if he came in signed with the Braves, took his COVID test, not and all that, him he's, in left field he's not bleachers. sitting out in the bleachers <laughs> drinking a beer. So I knew that he wasn't getting. There was no deal done with the Braves. But he said, uh, "What? What? Well, he was talking about that when he was spotted out there, and he said it was great. His comment. He said, uh, believe it or not, oh." At that point, I was literally just staying here for a night because my flights from where I was to get home, many from Seattle back to Florida, were brutal. And I have family here in Atlanta, so I flew in for the day and then realized the team was in town. It's not often do you get to be a fan at a major league baseball game when when you're living this life. Me and one of my best friends came to the game, and I got to be a fan, which was a lot of fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> Good perspective too, you know, to, to sit up there and, and take it in. You know, I'm just so, doing something different. I'm sure if the Braves had seen him, if Alex had he thought he was trolling the Braves. <laughs> but, but he said he was just had he was just had it. He, he said he watched more baseball than he's ever watched in that first month. Yeah. He was on the West Coast at Driveline, so he's watching all the West Coast teams. So he saw the Dodgers and the Padres, all those they played a bunch early on. He saw all their games and uh he said he's a baseball fan as well as a pitcher, and, and and he said the games like those Padres Dodgers when there's two great teams yeah. on the field. He said feel the playoff atmosphere. He really got into it, man. So he, he really he took it took it the right way. Watch watch ball every day, and then he realized you know I, he couldn't watch as much because he needed to stay in shape, and keep his arm in shape. So he was working out a little bit more and and uh, getting to sleep and all that. So, but it was uh, it was interesting to hear his perspective on on what he did to, to keep going and went out to drive line in Seattle, uh, was throwing once a week, one, one batting practice a week, our live BP out there. Uh, he said, they really helped me out there as far as letting me come in and have catchers available and hitters available for the lives and stuff. So I did everything I could be good to be ready. Everything I could possibly do to be ready. I basically got out there like maybe two weeks before the season started, and that was my first time there. So basically I ran into a situation where I felt like it was getting harder and harder for me to find catchers and hitters to throw to down in Florida. I knew they had a bunch of guys out there every day, so I reached out to Matt Boyd, former Tigers teammate, because he's from Seattle. He knew I, was, he, I knew he was well-connected out there and asked him if, I could, if he could uh, get me in out there, and he did. And long story short, Matt really helped me out and got me locked in over there let me stay at his house, drive around in his car. He was a big help. So if Shane Green has a good season for the Braves, they can thank Matt Boyd of the Tigers for helping him out with the driveline stuff and letting him drive his car out in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and mean, you know, it's some guys don't get something out of it and some guys do, but it's not a bad thing to try, especially while you got some extra time on your hands and they're able to, they do some cool stuff with cameras and, and showing you how the ball's spinning and, and tunneling and all this stuff. So he might've picked up something he can use too. Where's driving? Is it right outside Seattle, suburban? It's in Kent, so it's um, it's, it's probably like 25, 30 minutes without traffic from Seattle. They got it, but they just built. So they had this yeah. old dumpy ass warehouse before, and as big as they were in baseball, guys would fly out from, you know, other parts of the country where real estate's cheap, and they would they would walk into Driveline and think this yeah. is it. You know, and the guys there, they're pretty frugal and smart with their money. So they kind of just piled it up for a long time. But they finally um, built a pretty nice facility out there um, that's that has space for everything they need because they had to shuffle everybody around. I mean, you'd be throwing in there and there'd be guys throwing across the cage. You were throwing your bullpen in in between your pitches. It was kind of a disaster. (laughs) Um, It was it was awkward for me because you're so used to everything being about you. And you just you go down there, you got to get on the program. But um, it's. It's a good facility, and that's a good thing to be doing in your free time instead of just throwing to right. junior college hitters. And who knows what kind of feedback you're getting? You know, when you when you throw to guys that are that far below your skill level, mm. you can make a terrible pitch and just blow them away. So I think that's part of the reason why you see guys come off of these these stints where they sign late and they're pitching against college kids or kids that really shouldn't yep. be facing them. You don't get the feedback you need of was that a good slider or not? What's the best slider they've ever seen? But yeah. is it a good enough for, to get big league hitters out? So I'm, I think that's probably a pretty good move on his part to to go down there and pitch. Yeah, I mean, he's going all the way across the country too, so that's showing some commitment. Yeah. And there's obviously yeah. no team paying for it. Mm-mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, we saw that like with Keiko when he didn't really get to throw to major league hitters. He got to throw to some of Boris's other clients. But, you know, once the season started, he's throwing to college kids or, you know, local yeah. Juco kids and stuff. So. Juco kids never seen Keiko sinker. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could throw it right down the middle on a tee. They're still hitting a ground ball to shortstop. And then he ends up back with the Braves, which is where he wanted to be, he said all along, because unfinished business. But, uh, it, as a reliever, you probably understand what he said here. He goes, the biggest thing for me coming back here was familiar faces, familiar place, no transition period. The day I showed up, I felt like I'd never left. It made me, it made it way easier to get ready when I got here. I could be honest with everybody about how I feel and all those kinds of things. My relationships are really good here. I've been in touch with the boys even when I was sitting at home in the first month. I have a lot of friends on this team, so there were still mess- text messages, conversations going on. I was still rooting for the guy, so I'm happy to be back and get it rolling. This has got to be far better than other options for him, you know, ending up back here, even if the money isn't what he wanted. Well, and it's 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 really hard to show up late or even to go to a new team and get off to a bad start. If he gets off to a bad start here, it's going to be more forgiving than anywhere else he could go because he's already proven a lot and done yeah. a lot here. Yeah. You go to a new team and you suck, it's like, not only are you trying to prove yourself to a fan base, but you're trying to prove yourself to your teammates. Yeah. They don't care what you were doing with, you know, Anaheim. Yeah. You come here and you're blowing games for us. We need you to clean it up. And and who is this guy? Why do we pay for him? You know, teams are usually pretty good about being understanding and, and knowing that it's just a hard game, but you can't help but feel some of that pressure when you go to a new team. So I'm sure it's probably the best spot he could have landed. Plus when you don't get to spend spring training with a team, and you're getting to know new guys, you're thrown right into the season. All you're getting to talk to them is in a clubhouse and then yeah. sitting in the bullpen where you're away yeah. from the rest of the team anyway. So perfect for that regard. And the, and most of these, all these relievers that were on the team last year, the key guys were all back. So uh, except for the ones that left, but the ones that are here were here last year. Yeah. Will Smith said about getting him back, Will Smith, about what a big addition he can be. And he said, Absolutely. The pen's always the weird group down there. We spend three and a half hours with each other every day, so we're a tight-knit group. And obviously, we know what Greeny can bring to the table whenever he gets here. And not just in the bullpen, but a clubhouse guy, a veteran. He's just going to make us even better. And then uh, Luke Jackson said he's an all-star reliever. He's fantastic to have down in the bullpen just to talk to. He's a funny guy. The bullpen, we're a tight-knit group, so the more character you can add, the better it gets. So he fits right in perfect with everyone, as he has for the past two years. It's going to be nice to have an old brother back. Yeah, that's that's part of the leadership thing, too, is when you have veterans in the pen and the unit starts to struggle, mm-hmm. it, to like either stepping up and having a big game or vocally you know, just being fun and, and keeping it loose and not, not letting that pressure build. So everybody feels it. Yeah. A lot of times when you see those pens that are struggling, they're looking for somebody else to, to step up and have that big game or do something. Or you got, you know, if you got a veteran down there, we had a veteran one year that was just all about himself and just dumpy on himself and talking about himself the whole Uh game. I mean, it just kills the vibe (laughs) down there. So if you got, if you got a good group of guys that, that knows how to, just minimize the pressure that you're feeling because it's already enough. When you start getting fourth and fifth inning, they're still joking around. They're still staying loose. And then their job comes up and they go out and put up a zero. I mean, that that can really help a group. That just stabilizes everything, you know, with the mentality and the performance. I thought Shane Green had a really good thing to say about Trevor Bauer, by the way. You know, this put he put it in – I thought the perspective he showed and the words he used were perfect. Somebody asked Shane before the game yesterday, 
you know, before they faced Trevor Bauer, they figured he might, as it was, he was pretty subdued for Trevor Bauer. He didn't do any antics, but he's not really in position to do any antics yesterday. But he didn't strut off the field after striking anybody out or anything. But he did just, do the one eye thing with Acuna. Did he? That's right. Did I did see, see. Yeah, I saw yeah. somebody brought that up this morning. Shane Green, though, was asked about Trevor Bauer and his antics and all that. And Shane Green said, honestly, I tell people all the time, be yourself. If that's him being himself, then I'm all for it. Guys get upset. But at the end of the day, he's being himself to compete. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's got to do. When I get the third out, I'm going to slap my chest. If I'm super emotional, I might scream something too. So I might not be doing it with a smile on my face because I'm a little bit more intense. But, you know, I'm not out there to show anybody up, but play with emotion. But play with emotion, man. That's what makes the game fun. And realistically, if everyone plays with emotion, the game gets fun to watch. So I'm all for it. But that goes back to what you were saying about like when that Braves got Donaldson and, and other people. Be who you've got to be to get yourself prepared or whatever. And if that's who you are, there's nothing wrong with being that way. Just don't fake it. Well, and I think Snit understands that. You know, if he's got he's got to kind of rein Acuna back in once in a while, but you don't ever want to take that flair and cockiness away from Acuna because he thrives off that. Mm-hmm. He thrives off when he has his big moment being able to walk and flip his bat and 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 do his annex around the bases. I think Snit's done a great job of embracing that side of the game because you know when it was when I came up, it, I was getting in trouble for fist pumping. I was pitching at wow. this game and I was pitching at Wrigley Field and I struck out Mark DeRosa or somebody with it was biggest game of my life. Extra innings, Wrigley Field, crowd was crazy. I just couldn't contain it. And I got a big strikeout and I started jumping around and fist pumping. And I came into the dugout and a couple guys came over. They're like, hey, you know, tone that down. Don't show them up. And I kind of. I think I did it again anyway because I just couldn't control it. Yeah. But that's where my mind was, was like, this is the damn World Series for me right now. For them, it was just another June extra innings game in a long season that was kind of downplayed. But where my brain was, was like, this is the biggest game of my life. Yeah. You know, and to try to tone that down in that situation, you see guys, it's almost just like another distraction. And it it takes that that zone out of it. But I needed, for me to pitch under that pressure in that situation, I needed to be where I was mentally. So for me, guys, whatever you have to do, wherever you got to take yourself mentally to kind of have a little swag out there and be who you are, I'm all for it too. I can't even imagine somebody telling you not to fist pump nowadays. I mean, as long as it's just no, it, it's like not that. a big deal at all. I mean, that's just everybody's if, doing stuff now. But if you watch the rest of my career, you know, especially once I came to Atlanta, um, I really barely ever did anything. When even I could strike out, you know, bases loaded. Giancarlo Stanton up with yeah. the game on the line. I'm just walking off the field because that's what I was taught. And yeah. in a sense, it was probably good for me because it it got me to to treat games and control that that side of the emotional right. side of it and and stay tame in those situations. But some guys they just they thrive. They can they can be extremely amped up and still focus and thrive in those moments, or they can be pissed off and play well. Or they can be just negative Nancys and 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 play well, and it's like wherever you got to take yourself mentally to get to that point where you perform at your best. Yeah, you don't ever want to take that away from a player. You know, it's funny because it's it's gone so far to the other extreme that it's almost like a guy who shows no emotion. That's almost job. more radical now. You look <laughs> almost more intimidating walking off the mound. Yeah. Like, yeah, I do this all the time. It's no big deal. Yeah. You know, you know, just strike a guy out and just walk off stone faced. Yeah, like uh, what was it? Lighters, like Lighters kid at Vandy earlier in the year, 
you know, like somebody stepped out of the box and he didn't move. He just kept just looking, kept staring at the plate. Just kept staring at the plate. I mean, that right there was far more emotion, far more intimidating than if he'd have got off the mound and said, "Get back in there." He just kept staring, yeah. like, "Whenever you're ready, I'm just going to blow this by you anyway." You're you not know? rattling me. Yeah, you can you can stand there for five minutes, and I'll stand here for five minutes. When you get back <laughs> in, I'm awesome. striking you out. Yeah, but, but yeah, a guy just walking like Degrom. I don't see he didn't show any emotion. Not really, because this was well, it was just what he does. Yeah, he's yeah, pitching little league games right now, right? Plus, he's like, don't worry, we're not going to score any runs. You're going to win the game, so yeah. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, just overall, though, with it, every player thrives with a different mentality. Yeah. There's guys that yeah. it's me against the world, and they have to manufacture this chip on their shoulder. And you're, you're going like, dude, everybody knows you're the best player. But if they acknowledge that and they acknowledge that everybody thinks they're great, they might get comfortable and, and kind of coast. But if they can just drop this scenario where everybody doubts them, yeah. They rise to this occasion that they created in their own head. And that's kind of, you know, all the stuff you see, every player has a different mentality that they got to just stir up in their own head to be able to perform at their best. And yeah. if it's, you just, you never want to take that away from a player, whatever they have to, wherever they got to go mentally to perform at their best, just let them go there. And if there's some bat flips or fist pumps that come as a result of that, just take it, you know, who cares? It's a team game. Ultimately, it's that's that's the most important thing. Obviously, is the team, but you can be a great teammate and still have individualism within that. Yeah, within being a great teammate. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with yeah, showing individualism. As long as it doesn't cost you anything on the field, as long as it doesn't cost you a base or anything right. like that, I, I just think Snit's done a great job embracing that. Because, like I said, I was getting in trouble for fist pumps. You know, so and Snit's been in the game four times as long as me. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I'm sure he sees some of the things going on in the game, especially, you know, like the extreme selfie and those type right, of things. Right, and right. he's just kind of been like, well, whatever they got to do to be at their best, go ahead. And that's, that's probably not easy for him, but he's done a great job of that. Yeah. And it worked last year. Now, if he kept doing that this year, if, if Azuna had kept doing that this year and they didn't slut, they didn't jump, get out of this malaise. He might have said yeah. something at some point, but, like, hey, but it worked last year, and you got gonna, you're not going to disrupt it while it's working. We're 16 games back, and we're down <laughs> five nothing today. I don't need you taking a selfie on your way to first base. And guys are throwing at our guys, so let's yeah. let's calm it down. Yeah. Um, Bauer just wrapped. Bauer was five and two with a 1.98 ERA in his first 10 starts. And here's the big one: you were you noted when we were talking earlier off before the podcast. 88 strikeouts, 15 walks, and a 491 opponent's OPS in those first 10 games, right? Last three starts, one and two, 386 ERA, 800 opponent's OPS, 15 hits, eight earned runs, nine walks, 15 strikeouts from 88 strikeouts and 15 walks and a 491 opponent's OPS to 15 strikeouts, nine walks, and an 800 opponent's OPS in his last three starts. So you want to see the difference that spin makes. I mean, it's probably we'll right if, there. We'll see if it continues. But right now, obviously, it's a that's a huge disparity. But he came out and said it. You know, he yeah. said it for years. He said uh, how what a difference that spin makes and, and how he thought the guys were cheating. And I just wish last year after he won the Cy Young using whatever he was using, I wish he would have come out and just said, I don't want it. Yeah. I cheated. You know, I, I did. He That was his moment to just that, – that would have been the peak Trevor Bauer moment to just that gotcha moment. But I don't think he could turn down the the 100 mil he was about to yeah. get. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, he's walked this line where he's he's almost like trolling MLB, you know, just going, look, everybody's using it. I've been using it. And at the same time, it's almost hypocritical for him to complain or whatever. And now that it looks like they're cracking down, then maybe it'll come out that that's what was going on yesterday, that he can't use whatever he was using. If he was using yeah. spider tack or whatever, he can't use it because we saw Joe West confiscate a cap off a pitcher a couple of weeks ago. MLB said this week they're going to start doing random checks and all that. Uh, they're looking now. And if he were to get suspended right now, then everybody's going to cast dispersions on what he did, you know, to yeah. get that contract and the season he had last year. So he's like, he's he says spot. he's not worried about it. He says he's not worried about it because he had a great season in what, 2018 before his spend rate was enormous before yeah. he t- took the sharp spike up. Well, and that's the thing though, is that it will be a level playing field. If every pitcher loses 400, then you just have to be right. better than all the other pitchers that lost 400. Right. And that's what he said yesterday after his start. He was asked about it. He said the quiet. He said the quiet parts out loud. This is from uh, the Athletics. Fabian Ardaya. That's our that's our beat guy out there with the Dodgers. Used to be with the Angels. Real good writer. He said Bauer has said the quiet parts out loud about how MLB has looked the other way as pitchers throughout the sport have used foreign substances to gain an edge. We know high spin rates affect the movement profile of a pitch in a way that can enhance perceived velocity. Given modern public data that includes live access to pitcher spin rates, it's potentially possible to tell in real time who's benefited from that spin. And that was a uh, remember Luke talked about they get those between innings. They get a, they get they can look at what the pitcher spin rate was that previous inning. All his pitches. Yep. So, Bauer says has established himself as an irritant to several of baseball's conventions and to the league itself by his own volition and intent. It has helped him develop a following and aided him in performing well enough to win a Cy Young and earn a contract that will pay him the highest single-year salary of any player in the sport, $45 million. It also has put him at the forefront of a league-wide issue that, in this floundering offensive environment, is under new scrutiny. It is one of the just several issues the league is currently facing, but it's the one that reportedly garnered MLB's focus of late. MLB informed owners last week of the severity of the issue and plans to more strictly enforce the rules centering on pitchers' use of foreign substances. So Bauer's start Sunday naturally brought additional focus. Uh, the surface numbers indicated another strong start for the Dodgers. Six innings, three runs, seven strikeouts, with a time-shaky command that led to four walks. The ZRE sits at 240, but the underlying public numbers can reveal more about the trends that reinforce criticism of Bauer's reemergence in 2020 and success thus far in 2021. Sorry about all this, but he said the average fastball velocity, his average yesterday remained steady at 93.9, nearly identical to a season average. But his average fastball spin rate tops in baseball by a wide margin over each of the past two seasons, dropped by an average of 223 RPMs, wider than the typical range outcomes for spin. His highest spin rate fastball Sunday was 2762 below his average of 28.35 in his previous 12 starts. Mm. He was asked directly if his spin rate decreased on Sunday due to use of his foreign substance or lack thereof. He feigned ignorance. He said, I don't know, hot, humid day in Atlanta. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's He's, in a tough spot where I don't think he'll ever admit it. But His, His rise in spin has coincided with the best season of his career, his Cy Young season 2020, when he had a 173 ERA and 11 starts. And he's hitting free agency. That spike in spin first came on the tail end of the season uh, in 2019. 
he had a 4.48 ERA, including a 6.39 mark in 10 starts after getting to Cincinnati. But Spike started after that at the end of that year. His average fastball spin rate on Sunday was his lowest in a start since August 2019. Right before that rate increased by more than 300 RPMs for a start against the Phillies and largely held that point since then, if not increasing. And he's just the last thing he said yesterday, I've made a lot of public comments about whether the spike was linked to foreign substances. If you want to go research it and make your own decision, go for it. <laughs> so, I mean, he's basically saying. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. He's kind of got himself in a corner now. I don't know what he's going to do, what he can say or do to – it's like if he doesn't use, he's gonna is he's gonna he's not gonna have the spin rate they had before. And if he does use, it's gonna be risking him getting caught. And then he looks like the biggest hypocrite in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was why I said I I thought it would have been mostly on brand for him to admit it after he won a Cy Young and pass up on a three year hundred million dollar deal just to prove a point and be right. Like I could <laughs> actually see point. <laughs> I could see him doing it. I thought he might, but. You know, it's almost like I've seen people compare it to steroids. Um, I think it, you, you can't, I don't knock a lot of the guys that did it in that era because it, I had a guy when I was in double A tell me, if you don't get on it, you're not going to be good in the big leagues. Like you can't compete at this level. And this was, no, this was actually a ball. or pine tar. You're talking about 60 uh, No, steroids. Okay. Like right. this was early, early in my career. That's how right. that's how many guys were using it. Right. And I think this his mindset. Year. What, this what was year? 04. Uh-huh. So I was in A-ball. And, and it was a veteran guy that had been in the big leagues for a long time and was just telling us the benefits of it. I was so young and scared of all that. I didn't really consider it. But there were plenty of guys jumping on it. And we'd, we'd go out in rookie ball. We'd go out and we'd run like three miles in 110-degree weather. And then we'd be on field 25 for three hours doing PFPs. And you'd come in from that day and just yeah. be caked in dirt and exhausted and have no energy. And they're, half the team would head straight to the bench press <laughs> or straight to the squat rack and start working guys. out. And it was like, how are these guys doing that? And I think that's kind of a similar mindset when you're watching guys pitch and they're able to do things you're not and you know you're as good as them. He probably finally just said, fine, I'm doing it too. And yeah. jumped on it. But it's still a hypocritical move to call it out over and over and right. over and then jump on it and then take the money and come out and say it now. So, yeah, he's in a tough spot. But the good news for him is his whole his whole beef before was that he wasn't doing it, you know, on a moral thing. He was saying, you know, yeah. I refuse to cheat. And then you're watching all these guys outperform you. If, if he has right. to stop spinning the ball like that, but they all do, too. Now he's got the level playing field he was asking right. for all along. So that that's the good side of and this. And a hundred million dollars. And a hundred mil. So you know, I mean, he's coming out on top. <laughs> yeah. But it's a, uh, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, and I really want to see which guys. I mean, it can be a difference maker in your whole career. He went from being good to winning a yeah. Cy Young pretty easily. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be it'll be pretty evident the guys that were using it and guys that weren't. Yeah, there's not many guys like Jacob Degrom that can just. Uh, be freaks and go up there and throw a hundred. No. Hey, did you see how many pitches he threw at a hundred or higher in that game yesterday? Like thirty. Yeah, like yeah. Th over thirty. Unbelievable, man. But he's the he's the guy throwing a hundred in the game that doesn't miss a spot. You know, there's, yeah, there's not easy. many of those. He just, I mean, he just. It looks like he's playing catch. Yeah, he's the one that should have the biggest contract of pitchers, at least. Yeah. It's all, all time. Right. 
Well, we finally had good stuff to talk about with the Dodgers. Now with the Dodgers series, we you know we we had uh, we had said on Friday it's going to be interesting to see what happened, and Braves got to like it, except for one inning they uh, they clearly outplayed the Dodgers. Now, yeah, interesting road trip coming up because you got Phillies and you got the Marlins who've slipped considerably, but still have that pitching. So you got to still yeah. they can still pitch three great games at you and take a series from you if you don't if you're not up up on your game. This will be it. This is another big week for the Braves because they got a chance to do some damage against division teams and put some more distance between themselves and those teams while maybe reeling in, uh, cutting into that, that, uh, Mets lead, which is only what three and a half games, I think, still. And that's one again yesterday. Yeah. So, 100 stuff. games left. Big stuff. All right. Could be the turning point. We'll see. We'll see. But they're back to within a game of 500 every time they've got to 500. They have lost multiple games after getting to 500. So we'll see if they get to 500 in this next game. They're one game from 500. So if they win that Philly series, uh, the win the opener, it'll be interesting to see what happens after that. <laughs> yeah. They'll, they're not going to finish the year at 500. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put money on that. Yeah, they're too they're, good for that. They'll and get still, hot. And Alex is still going to make a move or two, I think. I'm pretty yeah. convinced of that. So, All right. And they'll have Darno back uh, at some point in August probably. Mid-August, maybe. We'll That'd see where he is when he gets back, but that could be big, too, for September in the playoffs. That'd be a nice add because it'll probably take him a few weeks to get back, you know, up to game speed, but you could see where that could really help you down the stretch and in the postseason, adding that that type of catcher and hitter back. Yeah, and if he's, you know, if he gets back to where you expect him to be, then he's just got fresh legs for the stretch run. You yeah, know? I mean, sometimes exactly. it's good. Relievers and catchers get some injuries during the year. It kind of saves them. Yeah, I mean, he had, he played every game in the postseason last year, and that was when they were playing them every day. You know, they weren't even getting breaks in the postseason. So this yeah. year they'll get some breaks, normal breaks in the postseason, a little bit more last year at least. So you have you could have two catchers for that that would really help if they could both do it, if they could both catch some games. So all right, but that's getting way ahead of ourselves. They got to make it first. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I think they got to win the division left. to get in the way the yeah. West is going. Yeah. All right, that's it. A lot of talk about seven fifty five is real. Thanks everybody. Give us good ratings. Talk to you later.